You're listening to Monster of the Week with Timothy from ProDM, and this week it is the name of the game. We are talking dragons. If you thought our devil and demon episodes were long, whoo boy, have I got an episode for you. Slaps the roof of episode. This baby can fit so much whining about 5th edition in it. find the dragons on page 86 of the 5th edition monster manual. Kind of like our devil and demon episodes, we are going to break the dragons up into a number of episodes, but rather than three or four, we are going to do five episodes on the dragons. There are ten different types of dragons in here. Each one of those dragons has four stat blocks. That means we have roughly 40 stat blocks to cover in the next five episodes. The way we're going to break this down is we're going to do two dragons per episode because the dragons have two broad categories. Each episode will be taking on one chromatic and one metallic, starting with the lowest CR and climbing all the way up to the highest CR. That means today we are talking about the white dragon from the chromatics and the brass dragon from the metallics. But before we do that, we're going to talk about dragons in D&D in general. What are the base assumptions? What do we know about them? How are they different from dragons and other forms of folklore? Dragons are gigantic, intelligent, magical reptiles that dominate sort of the D&D multiverse. They are largely considered one of the most powerful and influential monsters or beings even, short of maybe the gods or the more powerful spellcasters. As I said, there are two main types presented here, the chromatic and the metallic. There are other types of dragons in other supplements, but since we're focused on the monster manual, we're just going to stick with the main two. D&D lore makes a very specific point that chromatic dragons are capital B bad and metallic dragons are capital G good. Now, this is obviously a little problematic, as we've talked about, and certain settings have tried to move away from this conceit. Eberron famously removes this morality from which type of dragon it is, as it tends to remove morality from most of its intelligent creatures, which I think is a good move. But rules as written, chromatic dragons, which are black, blue, green, red, and white, are always evil, whereas metallic dragons, brass, bronze, copper, gold, and silver, are always good. Let's talk about chromatic dragons a little bit. They are described as especially coveting treasure. All dragons love treasure and hoard treasure, but it's the chromatic dragons that want it the most. They're also described as being cruel and arrogant, considering themselves superior to all other creatures. They treat humanoids basically like animals and construct their lairs as defense against thieves, believing that everyone else is jealous of their wealth and coming to take it, kind of almost a beholder, paranoia sort of angle. Uh, Tiamat, who is the goddess of evil dragons, is their patron, and she has five heads, one for each of the five colors of chromatic dragon. In contrast, then, metallic dragons are usually kindly, and they tend to take an, an interest in mortal affairs. They famously disguise themselves as humanoids to kind of live in the mortal world, but some of them are so reclusive that they try to hide as far away from the rest of the world as they can. 
While they definitely have good intentions, I think the best metallic dragons are still presented as somewhat misguided or naive or misunderstanding of how mortals work, right? Being so ancient and so powerful would sort of warp your perspective. Bahamut, the god of good dragons, is their patron. He is said to often wander the world in the guise of an old man with six golden canaries each one of them a actually a golden dragon. Which sounds like a pretty shit gig, if I'm honest. Like, if I'm a gold dragon, the last thing I want to do is live as a canary on Bahamut's shoulder. Ugh. Now, mechanically, in 5th edition, each dragon is presented with four stat blocks. You have Wormling, Young, Adult, and then Ancient. And each dragon also has lair actions and regional effects. Keep this in mind as we start to like break down the mechanics that the dragon is iterated four times. We might not get super specific about what each level of dragon gets. We'll be talking more generally about their combined powers and abilities. One last thing to know before we dive in here, I did do a redesign of the chromatic dragons for our Patreon a couple of years ago, and I think that for the most part, those essentially hold up. So when we get to improvements, I'm going to be more or less looking back on the dragon that I designed and walking you through the changes I made to make them a lot more fun. So keep that in mind. I've done most of the heavy lifting on the chromatics, but I never did redesign the metallic. So that'll be a little bit more impromptu and brainstormy in the moment. But with all that out of the way, it's time to cover our first dragon, maybe my favorite dragon, and that is the White Dragon, coming up next. White dragons are described as the most animalistic and quote-unquote unintelligent of the chromatic dragons. They are also the lowest CR, sort of considered to be the weakest. They live in cold climates. They are known for their icy breath and their voracious hunger. According to the lore, they rarely speak, even though they can, and they essentially act as sort of like enormous predators, or they dwell in glacial caves and icy mountains, and they are known to freeze their prey against the walls of their lairs. Mechanically, the following traits are common to all white dragons in 5th edition. They have four types of movement. In addition to walking, they can fly, burrow, and swim. They have good saves, dexterity, con, wisdom, and charisma. I think this is consistent across all the dragons, but we'll find out as we, as we go through them. They have training in perception and stealth. They have immunity to cold. They have blindsight and dark vision, both of which expand as they get larger. And then for CRs, the youngest version, the Wormling, is CR2. The young dragon is CR6. The adult dragon is CR13. And the ancient white dragon is CR20. Now for unique abilities, they have their breath weapon, which deals cold damage, right, on a recharge 5-6. They have ice walk that allows them to climb on icy surfaces a lot like the spell Spider Climb. The older dragons have Legendary Resistance, which lets them succeed on up to three saving throws per day. And they have Frightful Presence, which can scare any number of creatures around them as an action. They also have Legendary Actions. Now, all dragons have the same three Legendary Actions in 5th edition. They have Detect, which lets them make a Perception Check. They have a Tail Attack, and they have a Wing Attack. I take a pretty dim opinion of these legendary actions, as we're going to discover. Now, the White Dragon also has lair actions and regional effects. Their lair actions include a freezing fog that fills the lair. Uh, they can make shards of ice fall from the ceiling of their lair. And they can also create, you know, large, breakable walls of ice to kind of wall off certain characters in their lair. For regional effects, the White Dragon can create chilly fog around its lair, and they can uh, make snowstorms, and they can make more icy walls. A little weird that its lair action and its regional effect are functionally the same. 
As far as history goes, they do appear in the first edition monster manual, and very little is added to the basic concept. No age categories or anything at that time, but they do make a point of having a phony Latin name for some reason. This is attached to all of the dragons in the first edition monster manual, and they are all equally stupid. Uh, the white dragons one is Draco Rigidus Frigidus, which just... Whoo! I'm not going to touch that one. In 2nd edition, they expand the White Dragon's lore, and they add the idea of them as these hunters and being voraciously hungry. They do, of course, emphasize how stupid and evil they are. They also give them a pile of spell-like abilities, things like ice walking, freezing fog, gust of wind, that eventually, down the line, become kind of the lair actions and some of the abilities of the 5th edition White Dragon. Now, 3.5 did something crazy and broke down the dragon's four age categories into 12 subcategories. And I'm going to list them for you now. So you have wormling, very young, young, juvenile, young adult, second breakfast, adult, mature adult, old, very old, 11 C's, ancient, worm, and then great worm. That just, that's, uh, it's nuts. That's way too many. Mechanically, the White Dragon is very much preserved from 2nd edition. It's got freezing fog, it's got gust of wind, all of that. In its capacity as 4th edition, 4th edition rehauls the dragon quite a bit. It returns to 4 age categories instead of 12. It introduces the concept of the recharge breath weapon, and it also introduces the idea of the bloodied breath. Basically, when the White Dragon gets to half hit points, it automatically recharges its breath weapon and uses it. Love that power, really should just give that back to my dragons in 5th edition. Very, very fun. They also add an Icy Tomb ability that allows you to freeze a target solid, as well as an Aura of Winter that deals cold damage, makes the area difficult terrain, and is heavily obscured, which, again, I love. Which brings us to 5th edition. My favorite thing about the 5th edition White Dragon is just the lore, I think. I can't decide if they're my favorite chromatic. I, I, I vacillate between them and the red because the red is just so classic. But I actually really love that the White Dragon is more animalistic. I don't necessarily think you need to say that they are less intelligent, but I like the idea that their priorities are different. They're not concerned with accumulating power and even wealth as much. They mainly want to eat. They are predators first, dragons second. And I really, really like that about them. I think it taps into a lot of the more animalistic dragon depictions you see in things like Reign of Fire or Game of Thrones or whatever it is. What I think really sells that is that they are intelligent. They're just kind of permanently in goblin mode. Like all they do is eat and save their leftovers and flop around and they don't really have any greater ambitions. And I love that for them. I think that's actually kind of cool. I also love that they freeze their enemies and that they come bundled with lots of other cool monsters. Like the frost giants are almost always wrapped up in there and remoraz and giant whales and rocks and all of these cool like arctic north sea predators all kind of get bundled in with the white dragon. I think it makes those adventures really fun and enjoyable. The thing that I don't like so much is an unfortunate truth that I have hinted at before. I think that 5e does the dragons a huge disservice. I feel like they are one of the least interesting monsters designed in 5th edition, which is absolutely baffling to me because they are literally the flagship monster. I think these dragons are the like prototypical example 
of a monster that is cool to look at and boring to run. If I'm honest, my redesign of the Chromatic Dragons was, I think, what inspired me to start this podcast because I really had fun delving into the dragon and saying, what if this was like a very serious boss monster with a bunch of scary powers that it could slowly work its way through? I have always had to revamp and redesign dragons in Dungeons & Dragons to make them cooler, but I've never had to do it so much than I did in 5th edition. And this is basically across the board. There really isn't a dragon design in this book that I like that much. I'm going to save us a lot of time by putting all my complaints here. I don't think the 5th edition dragons are very good, and it is our job today and for the next however many weeks to improve them. So here is the laundry list of improvements that I made to the white dragon to make it a much more playable monster. First of all, I improved the bite attack. In addition to the cold damage, a white dragon can now grapple a target, and then as the dragon gets bigger, they gain the ability to swallow the target. This is the dragon that's all about hunting and eating. It should be able to eat you. Across all of the dragons, I tried to make similar changes, so that way if you had run one dragon before, you had an idea of how other future dragons might work. So for the white dragon's breath weapon, I added the ability to freeze the target solid if they take enough damage. This does require the dungeon master to roll the damage rather than take the average. Um, And the frozen condition functions a lot like petrification, except it can be removed either by waiting an hour for you to thaw or by taking fire damage, which I thought was kind of a cool twist. One unique ability that I gave my white dragons is called Blood Sight. Inspired by sharks and their ability to sense blood in the water, Blood Sight allows the white dragon to track a target if they are missing even one hit point. It starts as Blind Sight for the younger dragons out to a certain radius, but as they get bigger, it expands and expands and eventually allows them to pinpoint even a hidden or invisible creature merely by the smell of their blood. I really liked the idea of the dragon being able to track its prey as long as it can get one nick on you, it can smell your blood wherever you are in its lair. One thing I added to all my chromatic dragons is a 3-4 recharge ability. So this way, every round when you roll your breath weapon recharge, if you get a 1 or a 2, nothing happens. If you get a 5 or a 6, you recharge the breath weapon. But if you get a 3 or a 4, you recharge some other ability, usually a bonus action that the dragon can activate to make itself a little bit gnarlier. For the white dragon, that's permafrost. They can coat their body in a layer of ice, which grants them temporary hit points and temporary AC, but a brief vulnerability to fire damage. Once they lose the temporary hit points, they lose the bonus to AC. Just a nice little way to give them a little bit of extra kick, because I find big monsters tend to go down like sacks of potatoes if the party stacks damage on them. I also added three new legendary actions. My white dragon can create black ice that has sort of a grease-like effect. They can scavenge, which allows them to move to a creature that's unconscious and immediately make a bite attack, which is pretty nasty. And they also have a bestial frenzy that costs three legendary actions, but allows them to basically take an entire multi-attack action again. Trying to tread on the idea that the white dragon is the most animalistic of all of the chromatics. I added two new lair actions. Uh, one of which allows them to suddenly plummet the temperature in their lair, and impose, which imposes a penalty to AC and dexterity saves and removes their ability to take reactions because the characters are just shivering so much. They can also create a massive icy crevasse that characters can fall down and then require an athletics check to climb out so to help them with their action economy a little bit. I also added two additional regional effects, because I love regional effects. These are fun because they're not that mechanical. You can keep them nice and loose. I said that Everlasting Winter plagues the area six miles around the White Dragon's Lair. 
and in addition, a supernatural hunger that causes both people and animals in the region to kind of grow feral and maybe even resort to cannibalism. Like the white dragon is basically sharing its hunger with the rest of the environment. I think that stuff is really cool. I love the idea of regional effects and monsters that are so powerful and so magical that they warp the world around them. And that is our white dragon. Like I say, very fun concept. It really needs a lot of work on the, on the mechanics. If you like that chromatic dragon, stay tuned to our next dragon episode. We'll be talking about the black dragon, and that will also have a complete rewrite from top to bottom. But before we do that, we're going to talk about our metallic dragon. Yes, that's right. It's time to talk about the brass dragon coming up next. <laughs> most talkative and gregarious of the metallic dragons, brass dragons just want someone to talk to. They tend to dwell in dry places, sort of canyons, deserts, ruins, and they're friendly to both visitors and outsiders. Despite how friendly they are, though, they're also known to be kind of canny manipulators, and they're not easily duped, despite how much they're willing to hold a conversation with almost anyone. Visually, they have kind of one large fan skull plate, and like many metallic dragons, their wings follow all the way down from their wingtips to the tip of their tail. The following traits are common to all brass dragons. They only have three types of movement. They can walk, fly, and burrow. Good dragon saves, dex, con, wisdom, charisma. They are proficient with history, perception, persuasion, and stealth, which is a lot compared to the white dragon. They are immune to fire. They have blind sight, and they have dark vision, like I said. The Wormling is CR1, the Young Dragon is CR6, the Adult Dragon is CR13, and the Ancient is CR20. So basically the same as the White Dragon, although the young, the Brass Dragon Wormling is a little bit weaker. Now, all Metallic Dragons have two types of breath weapons. They have their kind of standard elemental breath weapon, and then they usually have some kind of a gas or a vapor. In the case of the Brass Dragon, it has a, a line of fire, and then it also has a sleep breath. Plus, of course, it has legendary resistance, frightful presence, and the same garbage legendary actions as every other dragon. Now, its lair actions and regional effects, I think, are actually pretty good. The lair actions include a strong wind that blows around the dragon, and it knocks you prone. Plus, they can also make, like, a cloud of sand that swirls around the dragon again and blinds you. There's only two lair actions, which is kind of a bummer. But their regional effects is where they really shine. Uh, they can make tracks appear within a certain distance of the lair. Tracks that either lead allied creatures towards water or shelter or to the dragon, or conversely lead enemies astray. They can create illusions of animals and monsters within a certain distance of their lair. Love that. And the last one's a little baffling, where the dragon becomes aware of any creature that approaches a water source near its lair. I think the idea is meant to be like a like an oasis thing, but it's weird that it like just becomes aware of them. I feel like I want a little bit more there. They also appear in the first edition Monster Manual, and once again, very little is added. They do have a silly Latin name, and that is Draco Impudentus Gallus. So they are impudent, and they have a lot of gall. They also say that they're selfish, which I think is kind of a good add to the Brass Dragon. In second edition, they specifically call them boorish and poor conversationalists, but they add tons of spell-like abilities, things like Dust Devil, even Suggestion, Control Winds, Summon Jin at high levels. In 3.5, most of those powers persist, kind of spread across the various age categories, but they specifically add in the lore a bunch of cute stuff about how they, they like to drink morning dew, and they like to wake up early. It's like all very wholesome stuff. 
Now, 4E took a very different approach to metallic dragons. In general, they de-emphasized them. They weren't in the Monster Manual. They were in Monster Manual 2. But even then, several of the classic dragons didn't appear until Draconomicon 2, which was a sequel to a supplement about chromatic dragons, this time about metallic dragons. Here, the brass dragon's lore is completely replaced, and they are described as being kind of greedy, sort of canny mercenaries. Like, at best, they can be bribed to help people. At worst, they're basically brigands. This was kind of common in 4th edition. They're trying to find ways to make metallics more villainous, I think from the belief that monsters are for fighting in 4th edition. I think this is a misstep on their part. They have some cool mechanics here, but there's no reason they have to necessarily be villainous. I do think the idea of metallic dragons as being maybe antagonistic, or again, good intentioned but often mistaken is still strong, but just to completely change their lore and remove all of the talkativeness that's in every other version I think is a big mistake. Mechanically, they could shoot a fire stream that was distinct from their breath weapons somehow, they had a wing buffet power to knock people prone, and their flame could light people on fire. In 5th edition, and really in most of the editions, I love their flavor. I love that brass dragons are these like extremely talkative, kind of gregarious people. It's really interesting. It's also really endearing. Like I think meeting a brass dragon would immediately endear you to them, even if they're a little bit obnoxious. There's tons of fun details to play with. In 5e, they specifically make a point that their favorite magic items are intelligent ones, ones they can converse with, or, you know, maybe like something that summons a djinn to give them a companion in their lair. I love that. Really, really fun. I won't waste a lot of time in how I don't think the dragon is very well designed, and we're going to dive into some improvements uh, that we might want to see. So I don't like the fact that the brass dragon uses fire. I think that kind of steps on the toes of the gold dragon, which also uses fire. The chromatics each have their own element, but the problem with the metallics is that they didn't really want to give poison to one of the metallics. I think that's kind of silly, but at the same time, I don't think poison makes a lot of sense for the brass dragon. So my proposed fix is to say that the brass dragon has a thunder breath. Probably not a breath, but probably more like a roar, right? It has this big thunderous boom, especially if it's so much about talking and words and things like that. So with their bite attack rather than fire, I would give that kind of a thunderous boom that could potentially push them. Um, I would say that the breath would again maybe push you and knock you prone as it's this big thunderclap of a roar. I would also probably replace the concept of that second breath weapon. I don't hate the idea, especially because we do have that 3-4 recharge power that we like to give. I think that's a great place for the secondary breath weapon, but I don't really like the idea of them randomly spewing gas. My suggestion is that they know ancient words of power, kind of like very Skyrim, right? These like kind of these dragon words, maybe talk to them by Bahamut. They can achieve these effects. The brass dragon knows the secret word of sleep, it knows the true name of sleep. And if it says it, you fall asleep. It gives them more of a magical quality, more of a mystical quality. I also think we should give them back their shape change power. They mention it in the lore. When certain dragons get to a certain age, they're able to shape change. But then they don't give them that in the actual stat block, not even in a sidebar, which I think is crazy. So give their metallics back their shape changing power. I'm totally cool with that. I could also see them having some kind of a passive ability, you know, maybe like a zone of truth effect or like an aura of friends, a subtle charm to kind of get people to talk with them, right? That kind of thing. I could see the, that bleeding into legendary actions as well. I love the idea of a legendary action where a brass dragon can ask someone a question that they are basically charmed and compelled to answer instead of taking their action next turn, right? Helps with the action economy and it's just very on brand to be like, hey, what's your favorite color? And then the character is like magically compelled to stop and think about what their favorite color is. I love that idea. It really plays with this sort of cutesy dragon angle. 
For lair actions, you could bring back the Dust Devil. I could also see ripping off the White Dragon a little bit and saying that they do have like a thunderous clap power that they could, you know, shake the ceiling and drop stalactites down on their foes, that kind of a thing. Regional effects are a little trickier. I mean, I think they're generally good. I would probably replace the one that says they know if somebody approaches a water source with the fact that the brass dragon could communicate with anyone at a water source. The idea that you would walk up to it and then you would see the brass dragon's reflection and it would ask you, hey, what's your favorite color? If you were stranded on a desert island, what book would you bring? Right, like that kind of stuff. So that way, even if you're outside of its lair, it can still talk to you. I could also see a zone of truth effect being a regional effect. Like people are unable to tell lies within a certain distance from the brass dragon. Or maybe people are just generally more friendly and more talkative. Like it improves the relations of people that it's near. The idea of like positive regional effects that make the land better and richer and healthier is very, very cool and very on brand for the metallic dragon. Great. And with all of that out of the way, this huge episode, this may be what our dragon episodes look like. As I'm recording this, I am dreading editing it. But that's for another episode. Thank you so much for listening. We will be tackling the Brass Dragon on an upcoming stream. Please check out our YouTube page Thursdays at 2 p.m. to come see us design one. But next week, we'll be technically taking a break from the dragons to talk about another dragon, but it is one of my favorite monsters. We're talking about the dragon turtle next week, so don't miss that episode. But until then, thank you so much for listening. I really worked my brass off on this one, and happy adventuring. Monster of the Week is a ProDM production. You can follow us on Twitter at ProDMTimothy. If you like the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Even $1 a month gets you access to the redesigned monsters that we discuss here on the show. You can find us at patreon.com slash ProDM. You can catch those monster redesigned streams Thursdays at 2 p.m. PST on our YouTube channel. The music used in this episode was Rainbow Ride and Waves by Azure Flux, used under an attribution, non-commercial, share-alike Creative Commons license. Check out their work at azureflux.bandcamp.com. Thanks for listening.